0: Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are here. We are in the book of 1 Samuel. We are reading the story of David. David uh, is uh, really having a hard time, running for his life constantly from Saul. Saul is like psycho crazy, trying to kill David, full of paranoia. Uh, Twice David has had the chance to kill Saul. Didn't take the opportunity. I think I probably would have. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he didn't, and he had great respect for Saul, and still loved Saul, and David still didn't quite get it. He thought other people were saying bad things about him, not aware that it was just Saul himself that hated him. And uh, so, you know, and we read some of the Psalms during this time where David was running for his life, and how he's praising God during this quite miserable time. You know, and and again, it's very contrary to what, you know, Samuel had anointed him as king, well, his life stinks. You know, where's the king part of running for your life constantly? But again, often a big delay between when a word of God is spoken and you see the fulfillment of it. So, lesson there, don't give up, your, give up hope. So anyway, chapter 27. Now, uh, let me tell you what's happening here at, at this point. Uh, David goes and he allies, allies himself with, uh, with the Philistines. Now, I don't quite get how he pulled this off. Uh, the last time he got around the Philistines, he had to act like a blathering idiot, you know, to save his own life. But somehow he pulls off this deal where he goes and he connects with, with the Philistines uh, <clears throat> to save his life. Now, all the evangelical commentaries that I read seriously condemned David for this period in his life. Uh, saying that this he was not full of faith he started doubting God he was doing the wrong thing um, my problem as I have read this and reread this and reread this is I have no idea where they get that from because there is no indication anywhere that God was upset with him uh, you know and God was pretty quick to hammer these guys you know if they became unfaithful look at what happened to saul God wasn't just sitting in silence he's prophet shows up and pulls the kingdom away from Saul. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, again, not everyone thinks that. I certainly do not. The only thing I can think of is, you know, one of the knocks on academia is, is uh, oftentimes people will repeat what someone else has said, and they'll repeat it again, and they'll just repeat it again. And that's why we get in some of these areas you don't get really a lot of original thought because they're more interested in repeating what someone has said before them. Not always bad, but sometimes you just got to wonder, where are you getting this stuff from? So I, I don't get it. Um, well let's, let's start reading and, and we'll put this together now, it says, now. but David thought to himself, "One of these days I will be defeated be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. So Saul's constantly looking through Israel. He's not going to go look for the Philistines. So he says, let's go, because Saul's going to kill me one of these days. I mean, he's chasing him constantly. Now what some of these commentators say is, well, at this point, this is where he's in unbelief. I don't think he's in unbelief. He's just doing the math. I mean, the guy is trying to kill him. He's coming at him. This is not exactly an overreaction, I think, on David's part. And if he was truly full of unbelief and dread and not believing that God was going to protect him, I think he would have been more uh, like to just surrender. I mean, people who really lose heart tend to give up. They quit fighting. They don't have that, you know, let's keep moving kind of spirit. It's kind of like, uh, as I was talking on Sunday about uh, what Greg Steuby had said when, when he was with us the, the guy from the military um, how you know, he should have been killed with at least three different ways with the, the wounds that he had but the strong desire to live, great faith in God he pulled through and just shocked everybody and he says and then there's other people they will get a flesh wound and die on the battlefield, they'll just absolutely die and he says it's, it's so frustrating, you just want to punch the guy and say you idiot, it's a flesh wound only he had more colorful language, which I won't repeat. But, uh, you know, you can imagine how soldiers talk on the field. You know, what is the matter with you? It, and, but they have no will to live. And I think people who truly are in a place of lack of faith, they tend to surrender. They tend to give up. You know, woe is me. My life stinks. It's going to be horrible. It was horrible yesterday. It's going to be even more horrible today. And I don't know why I'm speaking in a southern accent, but I am. You know, so... <laughs> But I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just horrible. And I give up and surrender and, you know, woe is me, you know. Well, where are you tonight? You know what? Theme <laughs> <laughs> from Hee Haw. But anyway, um, so I don't see this at all. I think the guy's just doing the math. I mean, come on, this guy is constantly chasing me. Say, well, where's half faith? Have faith, I mean, he is having faith. He's still running for his life, but he's trusting God the whole time. I mean, if there's anybody who could have said, hey, where's God? It would have been David, right? If God's with me, why am I running for my life? If God's with me, why is it so hard? Anybody ever feel that before? If God's with me, why is life so hard? Because it's life. Get over it already. All right? Sometimes things are hard, through our hardships and our troubles, we learn, we grow, and we mature. So I do not see this man losing faith in any way, shape, or form. If anything, he's thinking, what do I got to do to survive? All right? So, so he comes up with this plan. So David and, and the 600 men with him left. Oh, one of the things these guys said, you know, is he was out of faith, and that's why the Lord punished him and, and delayed him receiving the crown. Well, it's ludicrous. I mean, he had the chronic in another year and four months. And this is absurd. The whole thing was just absurd. I don't know why they kept there. And they were all saying it. All these, you know, more than traditional evangelical church guys. So anyway, I'm just telling you what what I think. And uh, and some other commentators, you know, that weren't from that line of thinking. But anyway. So David and the 600 men with him left. And they went over to Achish, son of Moak, king of Gath. And David and his men settled in Gath with Ashish. Again, it doesn't show us how he pulled this off. It just, he pulls it off. Each man had his family with him, so that everybody brought everybody with him. And David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the babe of Carmel, the widow of Nabal, the big, fat, sick, and jerk. Remember that story, right? Okay, and then when Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, then he no longer search for him. So this is finally a, a respite for him. <gasps> so, I don't know. Sounds like a smart move to me. Then David says to Asius, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to, to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? In other words, I'm not worthy. It's one of these, I'm not worthy to come under your roof, you know, type thing. And, uh, you know, give me some little dinkball town. And we'll hang out there. So on that day, Ashes gave him Ziklag. So Ziklag becomes the town that David uh, lives. And this became part of David's dynasty for who knows how far in the future. But uh, now it was never really called the city of David. Um, the city of David was always where he was born, which was what? Bethlehem, Bethlehem remember? And uh, so that, but, but this, this is where, where he lives with his, with his gang of... Guys, 600 guys and all their wives and kids and everybody So he gives them Ziklag And it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since Now David lived in Philistine territory A year and four months It wasn't really all that long Now David and his men went up and raided the Jezrites The Gerzites The Amalekites From uh, ancient times these people had lived in the land Extending to Shur in Egypt Now whenever David attacked an area He did not leave a man or woman alive but took sheep and cattle, uh, donkeys and camels and clothes, and then he returned to Asia, so his job basically he 's still a warrior. These guys were warriors they you know uh, at this point uh, they 're basically working for the Philistines going on these raids. Now, what David would do is he would go on these raids, and then he would kill everybody now, from our viewpoint at this point, you know looking at this just the way these people lived, it's bizarre to even comprehend. Uh, you know, from Western culture, David was one mean dude. I mean, when they came in, they killed everybody. Everybody, man, woman, child, they just wiped it all out. It was quite horrid when you consider what they were doing. Now, um, oftentimes God had sent them into some of these nations that were so wicked as judgment. So, you know, that's why God was even allowing this. But you just got to remember, these guys were pretty intense fighting bunch of guys. So they kept working for um, Ashish, this Philistine guy. And they would go on raids. And from the raids, they would bring back the plunder and stuff. Now, when Ashish, in verse 10, asked, where would you go raiding today? Because this was his job. They were basically... uh, What's the word when you hire someone to go mercenaries, they're basically they're mercenaries at this point for the Philistines um, and he would say, well where'd you guys go uh, raiding to? David would say well we went against the negative of Judah or against the negative of Jameril or against the negative of, of the Kenites, basically in the saying, he was basically lying to them, so we went in areas that were, you know, you would basically find the Jews and uh, he thought, at this point he thought this is great, this tough fighting guy has turned on his own people and uh you know, so this was great. And he would bring back the spoils. But he says, he did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform us and say, well, this is what David did. So one of the reasons he was so brutal is he didn't want any survivors to be able to tell Ashish that it wasn't really the Jews that he was attacking. It was uh, enemies of the Philistines and basically joint enemies of, of the Jews as well. So um, so that such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. So again, some of the commentaries I read say, well, you know, this shows that David was being a traitor to his. People. He wasn't being a traitor to his people. He wasn't actually attacking his people. He was lying to them and attacking these other people. So Asius trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. So the Israelites got to really hate this guy by now. But again, David's lying to him. He's not really doing this. He's wiping out other people, and all this guy would see was with the spoils. From the from the from the skirmishes. And by the way, when these guys would do these 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 wars and go to battle, it wasn't you know like the kind of battles that we would think, um, you know uh, you know like this huge uh, conflict of, of gigantic nations coming against each other and whoever wins kind of thing. They were more like skirmishes, you know. Yeah, you remember it's just David 600 guys were doing this. So these guys would run around, and this was kind of the the. Uh, where these, the Philistines would have skirmishes here and there, and they were, it, was, it was very feudalistic, uh, you know, think Middle Ages kind of thing back then. There weren't really clearly defined uh, lines and territories and stuff. And any town that was close to another, they would raid back and forth. So this, this kind of thing that he was doing. So, uh, so there. So he thought, well, this is great. David has totally converted to our side. These people got to really hate him now. So this is, this is great. All right, now. We've got to switch the channels. Chapter 8, 28. Now this is another one of these bizarre um, things in the Bible. Uh, but let me read it. It says, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish says to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. Uh, and David said, then you can see for yourself what your servant can do. And Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now, what he's saying is, Israel's gathering to go fight Israel. And Asher says to him, now listen, you have to understand, you guys will accompany me in the army. And David says, you'll see for yourself what your servant can do. And it's interesting, he didn't really say exactly what he would do. Now, we're going to see in a little bit that the other Philistines wouldn't let him come along. because said, we'll get in a battle with him, and then he'll be cut off our heads. That's probably exactly what David would have done. You know, as soon as they get in a conflict, then turn on the Philistines because he never did really go to war with the Israelites and stuff. But see, there again, they're just saying, well, see, he's, he's a traitor. He wasn't a traitor at all during this point. He's just telling this guy, he says, You're going to have to come with me in battle. And David smiles and says, Then you'll see what your servant can do. <laughs> <laughs> probably, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Anyway, he says, Very well, i am making you my bodyguard for life. And he's probably thinking, Good, your life won't be that long. Uh, now Samuel was dead, okay? And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Now Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land, which was he was supposed to do. God said, "Get rid of these people who are into, you know, uh, basically what we call witchcraft or dark arts and, you know, trying to communicate with the dead and all these kind of weird things." So he got rid of all these people as as he was supposed to. Uh, well, so here comes the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shedem. Now, this is a bigger battle here. This is, this is much more, there's not so much skirmish. This is like the Yomama stuff here. The Philistines assembled and came and set up a camp at Shedim, while Saul uh, gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. Now, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart, so he prays. He inquires of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. He would answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Uh, and any of these things that somehow you would hear God speaking to you, nothing. He would just pray and he wouldn't hear a word. Why? God had turned his back on Saul. Saul had been so disobedient, so bad, so evil. And God said, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And, uh, you know, so even though God is a God of grace, you know, hey, at some point you, you can get something to in a whole lot of trouble. So Saul's freaking out. He sees this big battle, uh. And he wants to know is God going to be with me am I going to win or not these, these guys were very uh, superstitious and or religious depending on how you want to view the thing I mean they wanted even David would want to hear from God before he go into some serious conflict uh, this is very much the way they wanted they wanted assurance before they got to the battle which is which is kind of cool you know they they basically would go to battle knowing the outcome of the battle based on their faith with in, in what they were hearing God say to them which is kind of a cool analogy for us. Because when we go into battle, we should be able to go in with God's promises, with God's word, with, you know, knowing the scriptures where we stand in, in the battles in our life. And we should know the outcome of the battle before we enter the battle. Somebody say amen. amen. And if you do it right, God's going to be with you and you will succeed. Why is this good to know? Because when you're in the battle, it don't feel like you're succeeding. Are you hearing me? You know, and there's the old phrase, never dark." Do- doubt in the dark what God has shown you clearly in the light. Easy to do. You know, it's great when things are going great, and oh yes, God's with us and stuff, now you're in there, and now you're really hammering. Things are going wrong, and the battle's flying, and people are dying. Oh my goodness gracious! You know, to stand in a place of faith uh, is is a big thing. So, these guys wanted to know what God would speak to them uh, before they went into battle. It was all part of the confidence that they needed to fight. Because even though, see, the neat thing about it is, even though They would be maybe in a situation where it seems like they're losing. They would keep heart. And they would fight strong because they believed what God had said to them. No matter what the circumstances. It is the kind of stuff they needed to gird themselves. And keep fighting like men. Even when things weren't going well. Why? Because God told us he would be with us. He's going to give us the victory. Alright? Again. Very important. Because you want to have that decision before you go into battle. Alright? So. Uh. So he's praying, he's got, he has gets jack squat, you know, he's, you know, calling up God and all he's getting this. yeet, sorry, the number you have called is no longer in service. <laughs> and uh, so he's freaking out. So then Saul says to one of his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Find me one of these people who could, you know, talk to spirits and stuff. He had to have something going in. Well, they said there was one in Endor. And uh, they said, so Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes and at night, he and two men went to the woman. Uh, she was basically this witch. This is known as the witch of Endor uh, that he went to see. And uh, so he goes and he says, consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I named. So he's going in. Well, the woman said, well, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? If I do this and Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. She doesn't know it's Saul. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, I love he's swearing to God, you know, while he's doing wrong things. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. So the woman asks, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he says, Bring up Samuel. He wants Samuel had died. He wants to talk to Samuel. So she starts, Now, again, I find this very fascinating because, you know, I I look through these uh, different commentaries and stuff. And again, all the evangelical guys really have problems with this. Because they argue vehemently that what happens next isn't really Saul. But there's nothing in the scriptures that says it wasn't Saul. I think their argument is, I think there's this, there was this latent fear that if you acknowledge that something like this is actually possible, sorry, I got bug juice on my glasses here. Uh, if you acknowledge something like this is possible, many people are going to run out and go, go and, and find spirits and try and talk to the dead and stuff like that. So they try to really go out of the way and said this wasn't really, really, really it. Again, I don't really care, but there's nothing that in, indicates in any way, shape, or form that this isn't the real deal. You say, now how is it possible that this woman could call up Samuel I don't know neither do you and neither do they you know and I think it's part of the discomfort of the thing you know something we can't explain all we, because we don't know because all God says don't, don't mess with this stuff do not go there all right now does that mean people today can actually do it? You know, who knows? I don't understand all this stuff. I have no stinking idea. Chances are they're more likely to be talking to weird spirits and stuff and opening themselves up to deception. My guess is most of it's probably a big con anyway. Now you have to remember, black arts and stuff were big back. You remember when uh, uh, Moses came along and turned his, you know, staff into a snake? You remember what the, the, the spiritists whatever, did? They turned theirs into snakes. When he turned water into blood, they did the same thing. These guys weren't messing around. These guys weren't, you know, just, you know, dressed up like, you know, Halloween. You know, I'm a scary guy. <laughs> these guys were the real deal, and they were tapped into stuff. Now, eventually, they couldn't keep up, you know, while they could imitate some of the, the, the things that Moses did. Well, they finally totally collapsed, and he's tearing the whole country apart with bugs and, you know, all kinds of stuff. All these plagues and stuff. But th- there was some serious stuff. I don't think those weren't. Not real snakes. I'm sure. How's that possible? I don't know. All right. But anyway, just read what the Bible says. It says, bring up Samuel. So she goes into her thing, you know, bubba, 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 bubba. Come on, Samuel. Suck to me, Samuel. So uh, then all of a sudden, this woman sees Samuel. All of a sudden, something becomes clear to her, and she realizes who everybody is. And she cries out at the top of her voice, Ah! Or something like that. Uh, and says, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So right away she knows it's really Saul. And the king said, don't be afraid. What do you see? And She says, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. Now, some people argue the reason she screamed is because she wasn't really expecting a spirit to come up. You know, I don't, I mean, who knows? Nobody knows. Everybody's just guessing here. Sounds to me like she was seeing something coming up. And it freaks the willies out of her. And he says, well, what does it look like? What does he look like? He says, an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And Saul right away knew it was Samuel. Again, big argument. A lot of people say, ah, nah, well, wasn't Samuel. It wasn't Samuel. The Bible doesn't say it wasn't Samuel. Then Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has turned the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Sounds like Saul to me or Samuel to me. Doesn't it? You decide. Because you did not obey the Lord to carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand, both you, uh, will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. <laughs> the Philistines, so the Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Well, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear, because of Samuel's word his strength was gone for it had eaten nothing all that is so is it possible again this is what I think they're really discomforting about is it possible for someone to do this it sure looks like it to me it doesn't matter whether it's possible or not the Bible says don't go there you are never to be going into some dark Ouija board weird creepy thing trying to trying to figure out what's going to happen or checking out horoscopes Ooh, I wonder if God's going to bless me today let me check my horoscope you know that kind of nonsense Alright, you're not supposed to be there You're supposed to stay far from that stuff As you possibly can That's what God says Don't mess with God Alright, so now um, When the woman came to Saul And saw that he was greatly shaken She said, look, uh, your maidservant has obeyed you I took my life in my hands And did what you told me to Now please listen to your servant And let me give you some food So that you may eat and have strength to go on your way He refused that I will not eat But his men joined the woman in urging him And listened to him And he got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fatted calf at the house, which she butchered at once. (laughs) You know, it's not like they went to the refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? You ever been in a restaurant and think, "What are they doing? Killing the cow?" That's what they did. I'll have a burger. All right, you know, and away it went. So, (laughs) no fast food here. I'm telling you. So she butchers it, and then she took some flour, and she kneaded it and baked bread. I mean, this took some time. Then she said it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. All right, so now the stage is set. Now, I don't know if I'm Saul. I'm not going into battle after hearing this. You know, I don't know what. Maybe he felt he had another choice because of the army that was against them. You know, whatever, but... uh, so the, the stage is set and he knows, according to Samuel, God won't talk to him. Samuel says, you're going to die. You're all going to lose in this battle. Well, the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek in Israel camped by the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine ruler, rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, because okay, it there's a big Yomama group here, David and his men were marching at the rear with Ashish. Well, the commanders of the Philistines said, what about these Hebrews? What are you do with these guys? And he says, Asha's replied, is this not David, who was an officer for Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year now. From the day he left Saul, I found no fault in him. He's been a great guy. He's been doing stuff. You know, he's been faithful. Of course, I've been lying to him, and he doesn't know this. Uh, But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David has tens of thousands. He has to keep repeating this. Apparently this is quite the popular tune, you know, <coughs> back in those. Days. Everybody knew this song. So Asius called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you've been reliable and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now i found no fault in you but the rulers don't approve of you turn back and go in peace Do nothing to displease the philistine rulers what have i done asked david what have you found against your servant from the day i came to you till now why can not i go and fight against the enemies of the lord my lord the king asius answered i know that you have uh, that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of god nevertheless the philistine commanders have said he must not go up into battle with us now get up early along with your master servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. In, so David and his men got up early in the morning, go back to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel for this big battle. Okay, I think the Philistine leaders had the right call here because I believe this is exactly what David would have come done. Nobody knows. I don't see him ever being a traitor. There was no sign of it and no sign that God was ever displeased with him in any way, shape or form. So whatever picture they got out that somehow this is David's dark moment, that he was some kind of a traitor and wasn't believing God, in my opinion, is without foundation. Again, I don't know why they come up with this, except that somebody must have come up with that theory, and they just kept repeating it. Um, So I think the Philistine guys were smart to get rid of him because they didn't come back in. I mean, here's a a guy who wouldn't even... He felt bad for cutting off a bit of his robe when Saul was going poop for crying out loud. You know, you think he's going to battle and fight? I don't think so. I think exactly he would have gone in there and they would have had this big thing and David would have started killing him from the rear and what a mess it would have been. So anyway, so he gets sent back. So David and his men reach Ziklag on the third day. Take them three days to get back, you know. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev at Ziklag. So here's one of these raiding parties again. Lots of raiding parties going on in addition to the big Yo Mama, you know, army battles that they would have. Uh, Real life changing kind of things. So remember, Ziklag is David's town. All the guys, that's where they lived, that's where their wives were, their kids, everything was there. So they had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them but carried them off as they went on their way. So they come in, they raid this place, they burn everything. You know, you see the movies where these raids come in and they're grabbing women and children, everybody's screaming and hollering and they're burning everything. That's what was happening. So these guys come back, they come and all they see is smoke. And they freaked. When David and his men came to Ziklag and found it destroyed by fire and that their wives... And their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Whoa. Whoa. This is bad news. So David and his men wept aloud. Until they had no strength left to weep. Now this has to be quite an amazing scene. These are no girly men. These are some of the toughest men in the history of mankind. I mean these guys were unbelievable. We're going to read as we go further on. About some of David's mighty men. Some of some of the top tier guys that he had. Were serious butt kickers. They were bigger butt kickers than David. David was a serious butt kicker. I mean so here are these men of men. Skilled wars. Like for just 600 guys. These guys were unstoppable. And they are weeping. And wailing. And crying at the top of their voices until the point they couldn't weep anymore I mean they are devastated everything's gone their children, everything's gone all because they had marched with Ashish out for this big battle that they had to come back from David's two wives had been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail The widow of Nabal of Carmel the big fat jerk and David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him to death they were so bitter, they were so angry and of course it's easy to think and rightfully so, I mean all of a sudden you're following somebody, you're following me and all of a sudden we're in a big mess, you know y'all aren't going to be happy with me you know what I'm saying, I mean, it's a pretty natural deal here so they've been following David faithfully serving him, listening to every word he says and, they, and now look what it's got him and the thing of turning on him and killing him and it said that uh, David was greatly distressed I too would be greatly distressed if I hear that you wanted to kill me <laughs> I'd feel led to move away but uh why would you leave your last church I have no idea I can't remember (laughs) they were trying to kill me Uh, anyway so so each one was bitter in spirit why? because of his sons and daughters they were very bitter but David found strength in the Lord his God this is the first time again we hear of David and God again no indication that God was ever displeased in this whole previous last year four months. Well, then David says to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. This is that religious garb that the priest would wear. For some reason, it was a point of contact when he would pray. And this is how he would hear God. So Abathar brings it to him and David prays. He inquires of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Again, they want to know the outcome before they go. Again, it's very powerful stuff. Because when you know the outcome before you go, it does embolden you in the midst of trial and tribulation. Jesus gave us the outcome before we went into battle. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Say, Pastor Mark, are you worried about global warming? No. Why? I've read the end of the book. I'm not freaked out about these things. Well, actually, there's going to be some serious global warming in the end. (laughs) When the whole thing goes up in fire. But that's not because of carbon emissions. God is just going to go. (laughs) God lights a match. You don't mess around, man. (laughs) New earth. Done with the old one. Toast it. Uh, you know, when you know God is with you, and, and this is the important thing we talk about. Remember when we were first talking about David, how David, when he, when he first went into battle against Goliath, the reason he had so much confidence is because he had smaller victories along the way. See, it builds your faith. It builds your faith. You need to have confidence and reassurance in who you are, what you're standing is with God. And that's really kind of the difference between people who, I think, in in the midst of their struggles, either give up, Or the ones who endure Because the ones who give up They were not assured of the outcome Before they went in You see The good news with God is He's on our side Now we're not always sure exactly How the outcome is going to be But one thing we know He said I will never leave you I will never leave you I will never forsake you." you That was a pretty cool promise I mean no matter how bad it gets God will never abandon you You say well I feel like it I know I've been there it really sucks it's really bad it's icky you know was it David who wrote weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning you know these guys they're they're cried out they can't cry anymore had God left them no was God with them yeah why did their wives and kids all get taken was God with them yeah and why did bad stuff happen But you can't tie struggles and trials and tribulations in your life as a measure that God has forsaken you. And if you don't really know who you are in God, if you don't know your faith, if you don't really understand what's happened to you now that you're a born-again Christian and and, and understand the Scriptures and grow in your faith, uh, these are the people who, when the battle comes on, they they give up. They get the flesh for They die spiritually because they just, you know, So anyway, David goes and he wants to, Lord, where are we at? Should I go get these guys? Should I go get them? And the Lord says, go get them. (laughs) How cool is that? Pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David and the boys, now they're, David go and gets the guys. Come on, we're going to go get them. Take our wives and kids, you little snots. We're going to go get them. I just got to let them do this to us. Hallelujah. Fights back. So David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine. It's just south of Green Bay here a little bit. (laughs) Uh, So they come with the 600, but but that was uh, 200 of them. Some stayed behind, for 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. Why were they exhausted? I mean, these guys, they've, they've, you know. Emotionally, well, emotion, negative emotions will suck the life and energy out of you. Man, it, you know, anyone's been there. Well, we've all been there. You know what it's like. It will just suck the energy out of you. These guys have wept and cried and full of bitter and anger. They wanted to kill David. I mean, they were freaked out. It's sexy energy. So these guys, these 600 guys, let's go get them. Well, you know, they finally get it together. But 200 of them go, man, I, I can't. I cannot go. Again, these were no wusses. When these guys said, I cannot go anymore, they couldn't go anymore. So so David leaves them there, Uh, but but David and 400 men continue the pursuit. So now, you know, you got 600 guys, now you're down to 400, that's not a real good sign, but they were confident. Why? Because they knew the outcome before they went into the battle. (laughs) Anyway, so they find this Egyptian in a field, and they brought him to David, and they gave him water to drink and food to eat, and part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. And he ate and was revived, for he had not eaten food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, well, I'm an Egyptian. I'm a slave of an Amalekite. Okay, my master abandoned me. This is the Amalekites, remember, the ones who came and did this raid. So this is kind of a sign of the Amalekites had been here. They find the sky. So my master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. <laughs> There's compassion for you. Sick, hell, man. They basically just left him to die. Uh, we raided the Negev of the Ketherites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb and we burned Ziklag. Yeah, no kidding. They knew all about that. David said, can you lead me down to this raiding party? Do you know where they are? And he asked, well, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. So, David agrees and he led David down and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, reveling, partying big time because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. They had all these women, all these kids, which they were going to make into slaves. Life is good, man. I mean, it's easy pickings. Why? Because the Philistines, everybody, they're all out in this big battle. So these guys are sweeping it in, just taking stuff and making off like drunken monkeys, man. And they say, yee Well, then David goes after them. And he fights them from dusk until evening of the next day. And none of them got away except 400 young men. Now, how many guys were with David? 400. So, 400. Oh, they killed everybody except for 400, a small group. In other words, who knows how big this group was? Was it the thousands of men? I mean, these were, these were some seriously ticked off Jews, man. I mean, 400 guys come on. Of course, these guys weren't in the best of shape. They were drunk and stuff like that. They come and they just start wiping them out. Except for these 400 young guys. They hop on their BMWs and get out of town. They rode off on camels. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Praise God, nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, all the plunder, anything else they had taken. He got every bit of it back. Cool. Cool. So he took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. So they got all their stuff back, plus all the stuff that these guys had ripped off. So that was theirs. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him, who were left behind at the Besor ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, they greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, it's Kind of harsh language here, calling them evil men. You know, um, these were David's guys. These are the guys that they worked with. They, the reason they call them evil, men is because of what they were saying here. Uh, they were acting in an evil way because what they said was, uh, because they didn't go with us, we will not share with them the plunder. We were covered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. So this says, we're not giving you any of this stuff. You guys stayed here. We went and we're starting X and we fought these guys. We got everything. You get your wife and kids back. That's it. The rest of this is for us. Okay? But David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us over to the forces that came against us. Who's going to listen to what you say anyway? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as of that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. And then David made this a statute and an ordinance for Israel from that day to this, whenever this was written. So this became a law in Israel. That if you go to battle and you have the the success, that everybody wins equally, even those who stay back with the supplies. That's a great analogy for uh, for uh, for the church, the picture of the church. We all share in the victories, we all share in the blessings of God, even though maybe you play a role in the kingdom of God that might be pretty small. You know, you say, gee, I'm not, you know, I'm not Pastor Latham leading, you know, all these guys or I'm not Pastor Mark preaching or something or I'm not you know Pastor Gary doing all the music and stuff you know and uh, maybe I'm not out there evangelizing on the foreign fields like Pastor Joel and stuff like that and you know all I do is sit there and watch you know two year olds well hey that's a big deal okay because it is this supply chain everybody doing their work together that it makes it possible for any of us to do anything God has called us to do so never sneer at your position, whatever it is. It might be simple, it might be just just wherever you can use me, whenever you can use me, whatever. You say, well, you know, these guys are going to get all the glory. No, no, no. If if the kingdom of God follows anything that David said here, uh, all the reward will be shared equally. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so uh, those who stay by the stuff, you say, I'm a stuff stayer buyer. That's what I do. <laughs> and I, I need some people to stand by the stuff out at Lambeau Field next Saturday. You know. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's no big deal. Yeah, it is. Okay? It helps us us to advance the kingdom of God uh, and stuff. So never sneer at where God has brought you or whatever role, no matter how small it might be. It's all important. It's all of us working together as the body of Christ. You know, uh, Paul uses the analogy, you know, body has many parts. Most of the parts you never see. At least I don't want to see them. You know, uh... Messing up pictures of yourself in combat. That was pretty gross. (laughs) We saw stuff we didn't want to see that day. Uh, But, uh, you know, some of the most important parts you never see. The heart's one of the biggies. All right? You never see the heart. You see the face. You see the hands. You see the legs and the toes. are all getting all the glory. Woo, look at me. Well, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for who? The old ticker going. How would you sound like that or you're really sick? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Doctor, listen, you. <laughs> piece of wood in your heart uh, so anyway so David comes back when David arrived in Ziklag he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends saying here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies and he sent it to those who were in Bethel and Ramoth and Negev I mean he, this was, he made it like a bandit when he took all this plunder not only did he keep it but then you know, shared it equally but then he sent gifts to all these other guys around Israel to those and all these different names of tells you read them I can't read them uh, blah, blah 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 and to all those other places where David and his men had roamed so the, he, he basically he was very a very generous man was David okay and then the end comes for Saul we'll pick this up now uh, next time we, we do our Bible study next Wednesday we're not having a Bible study okay you still come let me encourage you to come Pastor Randy Christensen, you remember him? Yeah. You know, is going to be here. He's going to be doing a special presentation. Highly entertaining. Great. And all the kids are going to be here as well. Kids, parents, all the We're just going to fill this place. And he, he's just got a great presentation for the whole family. You're absolutely going to love. Uh, a great, great, great guy. But we'll pick up this thing uh, the next Wednesday. And we'll see what happens to Saul. And uh, really interesting how David responds to the death of Saul. Again, this thing of respect for Saul that's just off the charts. It's amazing. And then David finally becomes king. And then we'll start learning what he did as king. All right? Y'all good? Hallelujah. You guys can come on down and we will take the offering for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your kindness and your grace. We pray that you will bless these gifts. Lord God, that make it possible for us to uh, advance your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, you continue to bless your people so they, as they are continually generous to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.